Welcome to Men Are Nuts, a podcast about mental health, emotional health, physical health, awareness in men, women and society. First, it started with MAN, the acronym for Men Are Nuts. And we have a very special guest on the show for you today. And he's just shown me some pictures. And I know you guys are listening and you won't be able to see the pictures, but he's living it in an absolutely beautiful place. Can you introduce yourself? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you real well. Introduce myself? Yes, introduce yourself. What would you like to know? How long of introduction? Uh, <laughs> just, yeah, your name and, and just tell them about where you're, that beautiful place that you're living in. Okay, so my, my name is Jim, Jim Boyce, and uh, I'm 61, going on 62. I'm originally from Seattle. Yeah. And... Uh, my life, most of my life has been spent in education. Uh, went from the classroom to administration, about half and half teacher and half administration. Uh, spent the last 10 years out of the United States uh, working in the Middle East in Qatar, where Andy's from, and uh, the UAE at a university in Abu Dhabi. And I, I've had I have four children, two from a first marriage, one 26 and 22, daughter and son. And I have two young children that are three from a second marriage uh, with my wife, who's from the Dominican Republic. And uh, they're three years old. They're twins, which is a remarkable experience in itself. And uh, yeah, so that's that's my, my introduction. Yeah. And um, like, I've, like I've just said to the, the listeners out there that the... Um um, like I say, he's just shown, he said he wants to send me some pictures and he was teasing me there because some of the, the where he's living is absolutely beautiful. Tell him about the, your surroundings and and just that beautiful island that you're living in. So, so I'm, I'm in the country of Dominican Republic, and for those that don't know, Dominican Republic shares an island with Haiti. Um, it's called Hispaniola, the island, and I happen to be now. I've been coming here for probably 15 years, but. I'm living on, on, I guess it's the uh, east coast, southeast, I suppose, in a, a kind of famous area called Punta Cana. It's famous for all of its uh, resorts and that kind of thing. So a lot of tourists from all over the world come here. Yeah. And uh, presently, I'm, I'm living in a place that I never thought I would live in. I, I'm living in, on a, in a golf club community. Right. And I don't golf. And I don't golf. <laughs> and, uh, I have I had surgery on my back, so it would be a good idea. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, it's a community with miles of trails and access to pool, and I have free access to five-star resorts across the street, so I can just go with my two little twins, show my card, and I go in for free. Don't have to spend any money. It's very tropical. You know, all the beautiful sandy beaches and palm trees and uh, pretty amazing, uh, quiet, calm. And, and we're in a community, so it's safe. Um, you know, quite honestly, a lot of the Dominican Republic is pretty sketchy. Yeah. Um, I've been I've been in over 50 countries and I was never robbed until I came here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was robbed in broad daylight at a bus stop. Right. So it... Uh, so you have to be a little careful in some of the places, but uh, I speak Spanish fluently, so that's not a problem. Right. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's uh, been a nice, nice different life. But we just came here during the pandemic, so it's been a little bit surreal. Yeah, yeah. A little bit odd. And what's what's during this 
pandemic then and that in that part of the world what's it been like at the moment is it is it you know is it is it been restrictions what what's it been like there well good question so when we landed it was march 9th back when it just started i didn't know if we were going to get out of the uae it was so weird yeah, yeah. we had to come through come through the us and everybody was terrified at the time and so there was a lot of fear in the air and we went to my wife's hometown which is called San Francisco de Macorís and it's uh it's a barrio you know it's a real rough neighborhood and uh like you don't walk around with a phone you don't carry a phone anywhere yeah, yeah. people will tell you don't bring don't bring anything with you cuz you'll get robbed and so the first four months we were there and uh everybody was wearing gloves and masks and uh my town that town actually was hit the hardest in the country with covid they actually closed the town off from the rest of the country right and so it was kind of a crazy time and i believe i got covid at that time i have never been so sick in my life and i was a little bit uh i mean i thought i might die you know i i did all the stuff you would do if you were dying right. and uh i wrote my kids and in america and stuff like that but i also uh i was afraid to go to the doctor because I wasn't a legal resident. Right. At the time, and I didn't know how their government would handle it, would I be deported and separated from my family? Yeah, yeah. All, all so it was very scary and I finally did make it into a a clinic that was a friend of the family, so they were kind of on the down low, they did. And then I went in there all in their hazmat suits and all that stuff and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the doctor basically told me that something really weird was happening in my lungs and it looked like covid. Go home. and don't 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 go out. Right. Um so I think I may have had it but the the country as a whole has handled it by doing a lot of um what they call toke de queda, it's a curfew. And so at times there's been curfews where you can only go out until 5 in the evening if you're on the streets after 5 you're arrested and in jail. Wow. And they've arrested thousands and thousands of people they've arrested. Um and at one point it got to the point on the weekend where you couldn't stay out after noon <laughs> so you would if you went shopping you had to go between like 8 in the morning and noon and uh, but fortunately for us when we moved here in July to to this place where we are now you wouldn't even know the the pandemic was on because you're just walking around in trails and you're in the open we go to the beach when you go to the store you have to wear masks and things like that but yeah. you wash your hands when you go in the stores and wear masks but in our community you don't really feel it it's uh so that's been fortunate but in the beginning it was really intense yeah 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 you said you 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 how, how you said you got to a point where you thought you might pass what did i can't say what that feel like but what was what was going through your mind at that time when you thought you know and at what point did you kind of go from um I'm okay to this might this, I might die or this, I might pass. What, you know what what was going through your mind at that time? Well, it was crazy. It was crazy because first it was such a big life move. Yeah. Are you are you still it looked like you're frozen. It was such a life move making the decision to leave Abu Dhabi and come to the Dominican. So we arrived there on the 9th of March. That was actually my twin's birthday, so it was her second yeah. birthday. So we had a big birthday. I wasn't feeling right. 
I wasn't feeling right. And then, uh, I don't know, I think it must have been a, two weeks after we got there, a week after, I just got incredibly ill, hot. And I was in this funky little apartment above my father-in-law has a little store. Yeah. And, you know, no air conditioning, of course, and, and fans going and uh, just sweating like mad. And I mean, I couldn't, I really couldn't leave the room. Right. I, I normally, normally I would go down these stairs and join the family for meals or something. And for days, I couldn't even leave the room. I just, it was kind of a blur. I don't remember that much. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but the only thing that gave me comfort was really wet, wet towels. I was just draping myself in yeah, wet yeah. towels all the time. Um, but I started get feeling really weird and, you know, COVID was happening and I don't know. It just felt like life was, life was leaving me and I, I wasn't really very lucid. And so I thought, yeah, I was thinking in my head, I should write a book waiting to die in the Dominican Republic. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I felt like I had no options in the country because of my legal status. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just kind of stuck there, and I just—I was kind of thinking to myself, "Wow, this is it. This is how it happens." Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and, and and you remember, you know, that with people dying with COVID, nobody can be with you. And, and so I was just thinking, "Wow, this is this is really intense. That I'm going to die alone in this place." You know, it just was really weird. So I I wrote my family, you know, in the states, and did all that, and I I, I had done a pretty good job of familiarizing my wife with all my accounts and everything like that yeah, yeah. And, and prepare her for those I just kind of was practical about those things and said if this happens do this if this happens do this and uh, it just kind of was like this is it this is the way it goes I didn't I didn't feel like there was a lot to be done yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then when I started when I started kind of coming out of the like blurry stage the fevery stage is when i went to the clinic finally and at that point the fever was no longer there so they they said just go home and wait it out but it was just one of those times where i just thought yeah it could be yeah, yeah. could be it was kind of it was kind of emotional and kind of like i had to accept it at the same time yeah, yeah. but it was weird because because i don't have anybody here besides my wife yeah. you know and their family it was just kind of like so this is how this is how it happens. <laughs> yeah. So and you came and you and you obviously you came out of it and then you, you know, um, did you lose did you did you lose a lot of weight or what? You know, did you did did you was you found them was there a mindset change was there body change what what happened after that how did you because some people when they go through that they go through um, a sort of like a near death they call it near death experience they they come out of it thinking about life or life changes or what, do you know what I mean? Thinking about the life path and what, where they want to be or what, you know, what, what was that like for you? Well, you know, it was, it was you know, very, you know, it's been an intense year. And, and so, you know, I've never not worked my whole life, yeah, you know, yeah. since I was about four, four, 14. So, wow. so not only did I, did I leave the UAE and come here and I'm in this funky little barrio where you can't leave outside very much with my new twins and uh, all this stuff swirling around, then you get COVID. So it was already going to be a year of reflection. Yeah, yeah. And then to, to pile that on top of it was like, wow, you know, it was like really heavy. Um, 
And I don't remember the sequence, but I actually started a blog at, at that time. I should send you the link sometime. It's uh, called, uh, I think it's called Travel Culture History with Jim. Um, and and uh, I just started, what I started doing was going through my life and all my experiences. And I tried to have photos for everything. So I was digging through any photos I could. And I did about 100 entries in 100 days. And so, so I was, and it was hard. Most of it was on the phone, so it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was before. That was before my phone was stolen, and then I had to get another phone. But, but, uh, so I, I was pretty productive. So I was in this phase of, and I was really enjoying that. Beyond, me realized what a full life I had led. Yeah. You know, I've done a, I've done a lot. You know, I've traveled it. You know, I've been in 50-some countries, worked in several. I speak wow. different languages, speak different languages, have different families. I've run run fast marathons. You know, I've done all these different things. I write a bit about my marathon running and, you know, kind of the psychology behind that. I write a little bit about my family. But um, so when I did that, that was kind of therapeutic. And it, what it felt like, I was kind of setting the stage for my next phase in life like yeah, what's yeah. going to happen now because i've kind of uh, I've, I've kind of been viewing life as three stages like zero to 30 30 to 60 yeah, yeah, yeah. and 60 to 90 kind of thing so what's so what's going to be my thing 60 to 90 um but then i i came to this place punta Cana, and i bought this villa and when we moved there suddenly became really apparent something was wrong um excuse me take your time take your time but i I knew something was wrong with my son right take your time yeah and uh so that was like so suddenly it was this huge shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, here nobody has any awareness of autism. Yeah, yeah. You know, they don't. It's very undeveloped. Yeah. And, and so here I was. I just bought this huge place with cash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm an illegal alien because there's been all this funky stuff with residency. Yeah. And my son has autism. And so that blew everything out of the water. Yeah. You know, it was like, um, so, and nobody in my wife's family has any idea about this stuff. You know, they're not educated at all. You know, maybe, you know, fifth grade education or something at yeah. the most. So I had to figure out all these things in the country, you know, medical stuff and yeah, yeah. insurance stuff. And so, so it went from this reflective, kind of enjoyable yeah. thing to kind of a panic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and so so now you know now I'm sorting through all that. Yeah. You know, we we go to lot go to lots of therapy, seeing specialists, trying to determine if we can accomplish what we need to here. Yeah, yeah. 
If not, you know, I need to consider other locations or whatever. And obviously, it's a financial yeah. thing too. You know, yeah. it costs, costs a lot to get all the therapy and yes. So all that. So it's been a really huge. So on the it's, line, it's on, like I. It's, so, so it's like the, I have to have a major crisis every ten years. So on the line of the, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about midlife crisis and you know, you know, um, yeah, we do, we do have these, and we do have these moments where things happen to us in our lives, um, and they and they can, and they can, they can hit us at any time, and unexpected, and it's it's how we deal with it, how we deal with that, um, right? Do you see what I mean? And you being. A, I'm going to put it this way. I would, I would say, I'm not saying it's not in any. When I'm saying this, when I say this, I'm going to say this, and I'm not going to be, um, you know, I'm not saying this against anybody else. But I'm saying he's in the best hands in a sense of you were an educator. If you see what I mean, you you're an educator. Yeah, yeah. Not you were. You are an educator. You you were and you are, and you you would have no, you will know that this. Your, you know, your son is autistic. Do you know what I mean? Imagine you not knowing and not being an educator right. and living. If you take it from that side of things, the, that that the other side is. Imagine that you, if you weren't an educator and you end up there and you didn't know anything about. Imagine the, the shock then. Right. But because you're, uh, you know, you're in, you've been in education, you know about autism, you know about, you know, ADHD and all the other. The learning difficulties that people, people learn difficulties that children have gone through. Um, yeah, at least you're able to to know that you know how to insert, you know, to deal with to deal with him and and, and find out ways of um, helping him and helping yourself. Um, so I, yeah. I, if you look at it from that point of view, I think that's is in is in good hands in a sense. Um, well, thanks. Yeah, that's. I mean that's a positive. It was interesting, you know. He, he's non-verbal at this point. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't speak, um, but he, he knows a lot. You know, he recognizes everything and comprehends words. Uh, we're hopeful. It's not an extreme case. He doesn't hurt himself a lot or anything yeah. like that. Um, you know, he's a wonderful kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you wouldn't know it if you looked at the videos that I send you or anything. He, yeah, he's yeah. just a he's a spe- special kid. But his family. If I hadn't been here, what would have happened is he would have... They're like, oh, we know people that didn't speak till they were 15. He'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. And that's the point I'm trying to make there is... And maybe it's, a, it's, it's a, in another sense, it's, it's, you've, you've, you've had the child and in another sense as well, it be, it's good for the environment, he's, the environment that he's in is, is, would be good for him because he gets to... He hasn't got that many distractions, and he's and he's out. You know, he's got he's able to go to the park, or he's able to go outside, and there's fresh air. Whereas for some places, he yes. maybe he may yeah. be. In, do you see what I mean? He may be maybe indoors now, and imagine having a child that you you, you is autistic, and you're being stuck indoors, and uh, having to you know, particularly a boy who wants to go and play and jump about, and do you know what I mean? Run around. Um, yeah. The other, we, we live where we live when we cross the street we go to this resort and uh, he loves the salt water yeah, yeah. and so we go out in the salt water and the beach 
recently. I think it was on TripAdvisor or somewhere else. It was ranked. I, I don't agree with it, but it was ranked like the number one beach, one of the number one beaches in the world. Wow. Uh, I've been to a lot of beaches, so I don't necessarily agree, but it's it's a really nice yeah, yeah, yeah. place. And you know, you know, sometimes when you think about that, it's like, wow, that's pretty amazing that we just crossed the street and my son gets to play around in the water. He's just so at peace in the water. Uh, he really loves that. So we do. What's what's difficult for me is is he has this healthy environment. We take walks just out of our backyard. We yeah, can walk yeah, yeah. for however far we want under coconut trees and yeah, yeah. avocado trees and stuff like that. It's really nice environment. Our house is huge. I've never <laughs> I've never lived in, in such a big place in my yeah, life. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like a gym. He has like a gym for a house, so they get to run around the house, and we get to go to the beach. But where I'm torn is there's not the expertise in therapy yeah, that's here. The, that's the yeah. Time, yeah. And so I've been trying to figure out, like, you know, is it worth, you know, let's say if I went up into the Seattle area where my extended family is, I know they have good services, but it also rains much of the year and it's gray and dark and we wouldn't get outside as yeah, much yeah, our, yeah. our standard of living would be low um, you know which is more important yeah yeah and 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 so we're really struggling with that decision um, but uh, you know we've only been at it for let's see August so about seven months yeah yeah you know we've been working working really hard and uh you know, I've learned a lot, but autism is a really, I mean, I was an administrator and, you know, I was around special, special children for all these years, but I'd never really understood it like I do now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it's a really, and it's a wide spectrum, you know, of, of, of conditions, you know, it's, it's quite a wide range they include in there now, but. You know, each day is kind of different. You don't know exactly how things are going to play out. And, and uh, yeah, yeah. autistic kids have a lot of, uh, they'll make a lot of progress and then suddenly they'll regress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll go back, they'll go backwards. And it's really scary. It's like, what happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like, where did that kid go from yesterday? And so as a parent, you know, and you notice all these subtle changes and it's, it's just kind of scary because yeah. you don't know. You know what's the outcome? Yeah, what, yeah. What's he going to be like? What's he going to be like when he's eighteen? Yeah. And, and which de- and which decisions that we make are going to impact him in which ways? And you know, there's yeah. there's all these experimental therapies now with stem cell therapy. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Thing, yeah. Yeah. So you're. you're so what? Uh, I don't know. It's a, what, what you it's what, a, what you more airing towards? What side are you more airing towards? Are you are you you know? I know you got this this battle going off in your head what what, what are you because yeah you say he's got the lifestyle there and and everything but then they haven't got the expertise what what side would you know at the moment would you say you're earing towards even though you didn't been at it in a short time yeah so so what my what my focus has been you know when it first happened I kind of panicked and I was just thinking okay man, see my wife's not legal in the US and so that's a that's a problem. So it's more than just moving to the U.S. Yeah, it would be yeah. immigration, and, which is a long process. And so 
that complicates everything. But but she does have a visa uh, to travel there for now. And uh, but what my thought has been is like do the best we can right now yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. You know, for for X number of months, and then I'm aiming at hopefully going up to Seattle maybe in August yeah, of this year. Yeah. And at that time, I'm hoping to. There's this uh, health insurance is a big deal in the states. It'll kill you, oh, gosh. you know, financially. Yeah. But it's just ridiculous. I can't. That's one reason I couldn't live there. But because I have no income now, my kids would have access to free stuff. Right. Okay. And, and so I think I could sign up for it right away, and then get him in to see some people. I'd want to talk with some school districts, and then my sister. My sister lives up north of Seattle quite a ways in a beautiful area she has space there so we considered and she would like that my sister would considered living with her and maybe attending the first years of school there as an option I know he'd get services and then and then keep the place here because we like it so much yeah yeah try and hang on to it uh, because we've kind of bonded with living here and then maybe you know, if he got the right services from, say, age five to seven, maybe he'd be ready to come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's always something a, like. Yeah, and also you know, you've got, yeah, you got a hotel. You got a, you got a. Basically, there you got a. If you can hang on to it, you got a holiday home there. So if you were to go back, you can always go back and forth or whatever, enjoying the holidays and taking back there and things. So that's an, an option. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I've worked with children who have. Who, who, gosh, yeah, autism, yeah, so many, yeah, I have, autism, ADHD. Oh, I'm sure. No, yeah, I mean, literally, I, I mean, you know, I've been through kind of the spectrum of working with children, you know, some one-on-one in groups and, and for many years. And, you know, one of the things I never, I didn't, not say, one of the things I didn't agree with I'm not saying it shouldn't happen for... It depends on where they are. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll say that. But there's this... I remember, when, you know, when I, started, when I was doing it, and there, was, there, were, there were parents signing up for this thing called Ritalin. The, the, oh, uh-huh. And, yeah, yeah. You know, I wasn't, you know... Because what was happening is... if the, Even if the child was mildly on that spectrum the parents would still put them on the and because I'm not a big fan of ph- pharmaceutical companies and all that sort of stuff and I can see all the, you know, but, you know where, where I'm going with this but anyway that, I'm just not a big fan of it because I think they're the biggest scam and money making thing but for, for a lot of parents some parents couldn't cope and it's that kind of again it goes to that catch do I put my child on this and then cope or do you know what I mean? You know, rather than muddling through and kind of helping the child in other ways, being there for them, it's almost like, oh, this, yeah, give them this drug and then let let them be, send them to school and let them be, and you know, rather than I don't know, but I just just I'm just thinking of it from what I saw back in the UK, and and yeah. and you know, it's something I never really totally agreed with. Uh, like I said, I've worked with children with. With you know, some of the things that you know, kids with picker, picker is a thing where they they will they will eat anything, 
literally eat anything <laughs> and eat the, eat the clothing and all that sort of stuff and you know anything yeah um well you know and they have to be diagnosed with it and and then get help in that way rather than being put on a drug um and some kids get out get some kids get you know i know you know some of the children i've worked with are now teenagers and they've they've come through it they're not doing those things anymore do you see what i mean um so yeah I, you know that's... It, all, it depends a lot on on the condition you know yeah. like add and adhd I, I i feel the same as you i saw all these parents prescribing <laughs> drugs for their kids with that um his situation isn't uh something that i don't think anybody would recommend yeah yeah drugs or anything like that it's more therapies you know like when we, when we first started therapy he really didn't make eye contact with people yeah, yeah. didn't connect with people he didn't respond to his name you know which which that's pretty crazy yeah, yeah. uh but now he does all you know he's he's that's there he's, he's right yeah. there and, progress um he, you know tremendously and he didn't have his motor skills are really good now. You know, he can do kind of fine motor yeah, skills. Yeah. And so we're, it's the language now we're looking at. But the good thing is he, he understands. Like this morning I was looking at books with him and I can say, where's the tree? And he'll point at the tree. Where's the kite? He points to the yeah, kite. Yeah, yeah, where's yeah. the car? Yeah. So he has the knowledge. It's it's getting him to learn how to express it. Yeah, yeah. The trick, I think he's quite... I think he, he's an incredible observer. He'll see things that nobody else sees. He has yeah. this special, yeah. special skill. So, but but he has just some unique, uh, some unique behaviors at times. Like the last six weeks or so, he's gone through this thing where he he gets really attached to objects, and so he, uh, which is kind of endearing. Yeah, yeah, that's what you they know. do. They do get touched. Like yesterday, yesterday we were walking around the golf course and he had this huge palm leaf that had fallen. I mean, it was big. It was probably bigger than him. Yeah. And uh, but he wanted to carry that around, which was fine. Yeah. But if you would have tried to take it from him, he might get really upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's things like that that happen, and you'll kind of have a meltdown about that but normally he's a he's really a fun congenial kid very healthy he's happy he laughs you know he's uh he's a sweet boy and you know you just want to figure out how to do what's best yeah 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 and i would say for him i would say to you as well that a lot of the things you said then you said things like he he did or he or he was that means that was past ten. So that means he's in, he's made lots of progress there. You you must be seeing, you'd have seen progress from. So when you're when you they're speaking, you know, you're asking about whether, you know, is is it's whether he can whether he's going to be able to speak and things like that. He will because as is, we've got to remember that. And also there's another thing as well. I read an article, several articles, about children with learning difficulties, and what the what the article was saying is that they have. How can I put it? They have a special. There's there's organisations that look for children with who, with like dyslexia and all that sort of stuff because they can do things that the what you'd call the normal mind. Right, right, right. Do you see what I mean? They look yeah. for things. There's like 
like technology companies and things like that, they look for children yes. because it's 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 a it's a it's a bit of a what do you call it, an oxymoron or an irony that they have they have what we see that is not normal, but really they may be looking at us as do you see what I mean? They might be looking at themselves as normal, but we're not because they can do the things that they can do. So there's... there's yeah, there's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Carry on. Yeah, you're, you're on to something there. There's a book I read by a guy who worked with autistic guys for like 40 years, and he he refers to them as uniquely human Yeah. Um, because they're unique, and, and instead of being some aberration, they're just really unique and yeah. uh, versus the neurotypical. But uh, anyway... Anyway, so that's yeah, yeah. Thanks for talking about. No, thanks no, for talking about that. No, no, because like I say, I've spoke to someone, and I spoke to somebody who's on the podcast before, and he works for Google, and he's like a, you know, <laughs> he can do things that the other people in Google can't, and he was saying that he's 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 he has all um autism, but he can do things that. The, the other people couldn't do and that's the reason why they employed him so things like that so I've done articles but yeah but yeah so yeah that's something that we can you know you know something you know we've talked about and so what's let's talk about your journey then and and you know your journey through life and how you've um managed to get to where you are and the successes that you've had and you know and how you've managed to get to becoming so well known and well yeah it's been a long journey for sure um sort of a my blog would probably be a good good place to read about it but the uh we do some snippets on it and just maybe some parts of it and then it kind of takes you to where you are yeah so i you know i I think you know growing up i had a pretty idyllic life to be honest you know i mean i was just living in the suburbs of seattle and life was pretty easy you know i was uh uh a good athlete academics were easy yeah. made friends easily it meant made friends easily i, I was Can never i don't remember my go ahead okay 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 um and I, I never i don't recall ever being unhappy or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> struggling yeah. with life yeah, yeah. and uh uh, you know, my family wasn't wealthy or anything like that, but we were, uh, you know, middle class, lived in a nice place, you know, white privilege, white privilege kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, went on to university, thought I was going to go to medical school. and I did really well on the medical MCATs, they're called the medical school admission test. But then I decided I wanted to travel the world instead. So I just took off. Wow. <laughs> Wow. I, I worked a few. I worked a few jobs for about six months and saved every penny. Yeah. I worked every day. Every day, you know, I worked by twelve hours a day, and uh, I just left. And I had no plan to return. If I returned, I thought great. If not, I don't. Yeah. And so I, I went to Europe and I started. I actually started off in your part of the world in London, yeah, yeah. or where you. Oh, from. Is that where you started in London? I, did, I, did, I landed in. I landed in Heathrow. Right, at Heathrow. Okay. And, it was 1982, I guess. Yeah. And I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I had no return ticket or anything. I, I was just going to see what happened in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought yeah, I, wa- yeah. I wanted to have an open-ended journey where 
I didn't have a decision. Like I was open to never returning. Right. Um, kind of a different concept. And because uh, I thought my whole life had been planned up till then, I thought, why not not have a plan? Yeah, yeah. And so, so I started in London, and I hitchhiked all over. You know, went through Bath and to Oxford, and hitchhiked up to eventually up to uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, Edinburgh. And uh, it, ra- it rained every day. It rained every goddamn day. <laughs> and and uh, I was soaking wet, living in this little bivouac tent. Uh, eventually, I decided I'm out of there, man. So I headed south. Long journey, anyway. Uh, did all that stuff. Eventually, I ran into a, a lady who had grown up in the circus in Argentina, who had never been to a day of school in her life. And uh, I guess we kind of guess we kind of fell in love. And uh, it was in Andorra. I don't know if you're familiar with Andorra. Yeah, yeah. In the in the mountains between Spain and France, yeah, yeah. and uh, so that prompted me to return to the states to figure out how to get her over there. And anyway, that, that whole stuff kind of went sideways when I returned to the states, and uh, I ended up visiting a classroom, a middle school classroom in the Seattle area, and I realized that wow, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I mean. I was just alive in the classroom. I was just it was a. Uh, it was just my niche in life. I knew it was where I was supposed to be. Yeah. And so I, I, I started out as a, a high school teacher teaching biology. And after a few years of that, I mean, I was good at it and everything, but I thought, you know, I've done it already. Now I've done it. I know how to do it. I want to do something else. Yeah, yeah. So I so, so I left again on another wild <laughs> journey. And I lived, I lived out of a van for a while with my wife. And uh, I was building trails in the mountains and, uh, hiking trails. You actually made pretty good money doing that, believe it yeah. or not. Were you still in America and, uh, at that point? Were you still in America at that point then? Yeah, I was in America and, and uh, point, yeah. I was building some uh, wilderness trails and then I was building some down in California when the owner of the trail building company got in some trouble and I had to quit that and we ended up uh, living in by Lake Tahoe in a ski area for a winter. Yeah. And I worked there and, and, and then I ended up managing a private island yeah, for some very wealthy people up in the Northwest near near uh, the state of Washington in Canada. I was doing that for a couple of years when unfortunately I was hurt really badly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was kind of my first huge setback in life. You know, I hurt my back so badly that I really had trouble walking for about four years. Wow. And so, so I was, uh, and my whole life was athletics, yeah, and so, yeah, yeah. so it was, so it was, it was this huge loss. I no longer could run. I couldn't bicycle. Um, uh, it was really a terrible experience. And I was going to specialists. I demanded people cut me open and look for what was wrong, which yeah, I yeah. shouldn't have done. I can't believe they did it. <laughs> I had a couple of, I had a couple of exploratory surgeries. Right. Um, and nothing came of it. And uh, so I went through about four years of really extreme physical difficulties. And uh, and then I came back to the classroom. But I didn't even know if I could teach because I, I couldn't move a chair. I couldn't hold a textbook because my back was so bad. I would vomit wow. and all this stuff. And uh, it's quite a story, really. I mean, it's quite a miraculous story. And I was... 
I would say that was the first time I was ever suicidal in my life, was right around that time. Um, and that didn't persist for a long time because my then wife, miraculously, right at that time, became pregnant with my first kid. And so I thought, well, I got to get it together. I got to take care of this kid. And, yeah, yeah. and so, so I went back to teaching. And I, when I came back to teaching, it was like, wow, why did I ever leave? Yeah, this yeah. is my place. You know, it's like, yeah. I mean, when I walked into a classroom, the kids lit up. You yeah, know, I just, yeah, something yeah. I was, I'm not doing it now. So I can say I was really good at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, I got national awards and I got invited to the White House. I, wow. All, all kinds of, all kinds of stuff, you know. So I, I have, you can probably look up my awards if you want, yeah, yeah. but but that didn't really matter to me. I wasn't doing it for the awards. Yeah. It was just this thing that came quite naturally to me, and I was quite innovative in technology, and I wrote lots of grants. So I got my kids. I, I ended up one of the reasons I got a lot, a lot of recognition was I took all of the special education kids because all of the all of the science teachers were complaining about special ed kids. And I was the science department chair. And I said, you know what? Shut up. Give me your kids. I'll take every one of them. Yeah. And so I so I took every kid. And I had kids doing, uh, they, they were uh, doing DNA analysis, special ed kids, yeah. you know, with the, with, the high, with the high tech equipment and all this stuff. So we really did some cool cutting edge science um, because of all the money I was able to get. It wasn't yeah. a unique I mean, it wasn't a normal classroom. It was pretty exceptional. And then the awards started piling up every year. It was a different one. And, um, but then I got to a certain point where a new principal came to my building and he was terrible. And he was destroying our school. And uh, I found myself complaining about him a lot. Yeah, yeah. And, I th- and I thought, uh, that's not like me to complain about something for very long. And I, I said, I said, you know what? Put your money where your mouth is if you think you can do it better. So then I went off and got another degree or certification in administration, and then I became an assistant principal. And then I was uh, talked to somebody, and there was actually the school where I was the principal was the most diverse school district in the United States of America at that time, right. um, which is crazy. People don't think of Seattle that way, but it was near a refugee center. So we had students from, you know, over 50 nationalities. And yeah, there's yeah. only 900 students, but yet all these languages and nationalities. But the school was in crises. I came and and it was a mess. The place was a mess. And within three years, you know, I mean, right away it changed. But within three years, it was kind of an academically oriented school. And we were yeah. doing really well. And I got some awards for my principal stuff. And then the, then the divorce hit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I mean, it wasn't a divorce, but there was other things too. And my life was sort of in crisis. I realized I, I'd been focusing so much on work and so much on running marathons that, uh, yeah, the physical comeback was quite a remarkable story in itself. Um, I still have lots of issues with my back. I ended up having spinal surgery in Dubai. Um, but, but, uh, I had been living probably 10 to 15 years in a relationship with my wife where there was no really, no really, not really a relationship, you know, you know, sleeping in separate rooms. And I mean, it it was like having a distant roommate and I didn't realize what a toll that was taking on me. Uh, 
And I actually, during that period later on, you know, I started drinking a lot. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I never have considered myself an alcoholic, but I, yeah, I drank a lot. And I think it was just to numb my feelings. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would do that every evening. And here I was the principal of a, the most diverse school in the United States. Yeah. And I was doing a great job with it. But it was like, it was very taxing time period on me. And that led to going to Cutter, where I was a... That was kind of... So my first huge crisis was the physical injury. Um, and so I found this... Uh, counselor who was amazing she was amazing and uh she really helped me through that period and um and then i was offered this position in cutter and uh you know i went to cutter and uh in a way that was kind of a healing period yeah, yeah. you know so i was in one of these huge villas in the in the education community there yeah it's funny. Funny I had this huge villa. I was the only one living there um, <laughs> because I because I was in an important position, you know, yeah, assistant yeah, director. Yeah, that's what uh, my new wife later moved there, but anyway. Uh, so I really, I really went kind of silent during that period. I, I just didn't. I didn't speak a lot. I spoke only of spoken to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um because I had been so damaged um, by my experience. But the thing was, is that uh, it's funny, if you don't speak, people think you're really smart. That was something I learned there. Yeah. You know, I would sit at these tables with all the leaders. And I would never say anything. I would always, in my head, I would ask myself, does it need to be said? Do I need to say it? do I need to say it now? Yeah. And usually by the time I went through that, somebody else would say it or so. So then when I was spoken to, I had spent a lot more time thinking about it than everybody else. Yeah. So then I grew this reputation for being really sharp and analytical, you know, and yeah. knowing a lot, but it's, it's kind yeah. of funny. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, so true. that's true. What you say, because if you, if you don't say anything and sometimes you might come out with, Say you might come out with something, and it's only and the only thing that's been said in the whole of the meeting. Might be twenty, you know, a meeting might be two, three hours, and you might have said only one thing, and then that one thing becomes the most important thing in the in in the meeting. Yeah, I've experienced that a lot. Very handy in the Middle East because you're um, typically like where the university I was. You know, there's the Emiratis, whether they're qualified or not, are the ones with the power. Yeah. And, and so and so they have to see you in a certain way and after a while they start to realize you're the guy because yeah, yeah. you you you're you're only offering stuff when it's really needed and uh they really seem to appreciate that i actually just it's funny when i came back here this is kind of an interesting story so i came back here and i was contacted by abu dhabi for a remote project and, and they're starting this institution. Uh, there's a place in Paris called Ecole 42, E-C-O-L-E 42. 
if you looked it up real briefly, it's an interesting thing, but it's this school, not really a school, I don't even know what you want to be, tried to stay away from calling it a university or a school, but it's a, it's a learning institution where there are no teachers. And, and uh, all these students kind of self-teach themselves. And it's all about coding, coding and solving problems. IT sort of problems and uh, so Abu Dhabi was going to be like a uh, franchise of that and I think there's about a dozen in the world now and I was hired to to help them write up their uh, policies and things yeah. like that which I really never liked for anything to do with policies to be honest yeah, yeah. but my friend contacted me because of my reputation and uh, I was like okay I'll do it you know I'll do it so we had meetings once a week on Wednesdays in the morning for about an hour, and I was paid really well. Yeah. And I haven't received the money yet, believe it or not. I, <laughs> I just signed. Some, I just signed something today to get paid. But yeah, yeah. Um, the I swear, I hope this. I hope this broadcast doesn't go too broad. But I, I don't feel like I had to work very hard. You know, I would go and I would li- I would listen to everybody every week, and sometimes I didn't say a single word, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I would say hello when I when when they turned on the camera, and we'd greet each other, and then a lot of times I'd listen the whole time, and I really didn't have anything to add. But there were a couple really critical junctures where I said something that turned the whole thing. You know, so I feel like I I earned earn my keep by coming in at really critical times yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happened. Um, I did author I did author some stuff I wrote things and yeah, things yeah. like that as well but oftentimes other people wanted to do the writing and I didn't get in their way at all I just let them do it you know they did a lot more work than I did yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but that whole thing of not speaking unless needed uh, there's a lot of value to that somehow yeah definitely definitely you you spoke about um, you spoke about the, the times where you wanted you you thought about the suicide. What what got you over that? Yes, you said you went to counselling, but you're here now, so so you've got over it. You've got over you got over those hurdles. What is it that got you over those hurdles? You know what you know was it? Do you think it was resilience? Do you think it was strength? Was it you know what? And then also, what made you then? How did you go from wanting to do it to then, you know, contacting a counsellor, for instance? You see what I mean? There's always a, there's always a journey with us that we, 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 we go through things. I, I know I've been there myself. And there's a part where we, we always go, oh, yeah, but then I went, then I went to a counsellor or I, or I just got out of it. But there's a, there's, a, there's a journey between that point and that point of, how, what did what happened in, in that moment in time? Yeah, hard to think. But I mean, I'm thinking back. I'm envisioning yeah, yeah. the room, you know, where I was and all that kind of stuff. I think, you know, in general terms, for myself, you know, I think if I was to kind of chronicle my journey through life, you know, when I had those physical problems, you know, I thought it was over. You know, to yeah. me, my life was over. It was miserable. I mean, all I, I was in so much pain all the time. 
Um, and uh, I didn't see a way out, you know, I didn't see a way out. But to have gotten through that, and in each of these things that I've gotten through, and I kind of feel like I'm passing through another time now, um, you know, I liken it a lot to the marathon running as well. And so when, so when my daughter was, when I found out my daughter, first daughter was going to be born, and that kind of turned everything on a dime in that instance. I remember, I remember I was in the kitchen of this house on the island I managed, and I was like, oh, you've got to take care of this child. Um, so there's a big responsibility there. And then as she, as she grew up, it's kind of a remarkable story. So I was starting teaching. But I could barely, I could barely hold her as a child because it was too much weight. Yeah. And so every day I would come home, and we had this little sidewalk outside our house, and I would wrap her up in the cold. It was, it was January. Yeah, yeah. And I would walk, walk on the sidewalk, but I couldn't even make it past the edge of our yard because the pain became too great. Yeah. But for some reason, for some reason, every day I did that. I wrapped her up, and then one day I found like I was next to the neighbor's house. The next day, I was two houses down. Suddenly, I had crossed the street. And so something was happening to me physically where I was healing. Yeah. And her her gradual weight started to change things. And then somebody came to me and asked me to coach this running team. And I said, well, I can't run. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and they said, well, that's okay. You know, as long as you can tell them what to do. And I said, well, I'll try it. And I started to get a little bit better. And then one day I decided to run a little bit, try it again. And I started to make a little progress. And suddenly I'd run a mile. And then I got up to a couple miles. And I, I told my captain of my running team one day, we'd always go back to the classroom and enter all the data from the races and stuff. And I told him, I said, you know, I don't know why it even came out of my mouth. I said, wouldn't it be amazing if I could run a marathon? Yeah. And he turned to me and he said, it's not, it's not if you will, but when you will. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he, he was turning my psychology on, on me on from him. Yeah, reverse. Um, so reverse coaching there. And so then I decided, what the hell? Why not? Let's try it. And so I eventually ran my first marathon. I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, I ran an okay race for a first timer, but then I... I got pretty good at it, you know, and I, I, I started becoming a real scientist about running and, and my back was still bad. I still couldn't lift heavy things, but I became a pretty, pretty good runner and, uh, I was getting stronger and stronger. And then, so I wanted to break three hours in the marathon, which you might be familiar with, with your PE stuff. It's, it's a pretty good time for a guy my size, you know, I'm 190 pounds, whatever. And, uh, and you qualify for Boston and all that stuff. So for five years, I kept knocking on the door of three hours and I couldn't get through. Yeah. You know, I, and you can only run one every few months. You can't run a marathon every day if you're running it hard. So I ran 301, 302, 300 and 43 seconds. Yeah, yeah. And I was, you know, I was changing everything, diet, training techniques, all these things. And uh, one day I ran 255.52. Yeah. After five after five years, and so I, I liken that to my when I talk to other people that are going through real difficult times. I think my experiences are really helpful because 
I didn't think there was another side. Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know how I would ever get out of that. But I've sort of convinced myself that there will always be better days sometime. Yeah, yeah. It might be one, might be one year, it might be two years, it might be two months. But if I just keep showing up, if I keep doing things, it will get better. Yeah. And I kind of have the ev- evidence because it's happened. You know, I get, yeah. you know, if, if I wouldn't have, you know, if I wouldn't have made it through that time, you know, the most, the one back when I was 50 going through the divorce and all that, I never would have been to the Seychelles Islands. I never would have been to the Maldives. I never would have done all these cool things in life and, and met my beautiful wife. And I wouldn't have had my twins. Yeah. So there's always there's always this great thing awaiting you if you can just get through those periods and um, but it is hard when you're in it yeah to figure out and I had you know I had one friend who who I ran with I trained with and he he was really uh, I think having friends helps um, but that you can be open with about it but he he kind of made me go see the, the counselor he would like he would come pick me up yeah, yeah. say we're going um, but uh, I think I mean when you're at the lowest point I mean, it's hard to get out of your house yeah yeah you know so it's uh, something has to happen but now like here when I was first struggling this time so here you go 10 years later yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I had a really great 10 year I had a really great 10 year run yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, literally a run and, and then this happens and you know here you know it was like I had like five things happening you know I you know I just discovered my kid was autistic they had rejected my residency here yeah I was illegal I was I have to drive illegally you know, what happens if I get in an accident, you know, I'm in jail, I'm deported, separated from my family. So every day was risky. And uh, all that was happening. And I realized, you know, that I was, you know, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating well, I was losing weight, and which wasn't all bad. That was okay to lose a little bit. (laughs) Um, But uh, I think I was smart enough to realize, you know, I'm in trouble. And, and here, it was funny, I went to this, uh, this is all in Spanish, of course, yeah, yeah. and I speak Spanish, but I went to this, I found a doctor at this clinic and asked her if there was something she could give me to help me sleep or yeah. something, and, and she said, uh, is there anything you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was like... <laughs> How much time do you have? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go read my blog? <laughs> and when I started to talk about it, I thought, you know, everything I just listed was very real. Yeah. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like some figment of my imagination. They were really significant issues. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, I think I've kind of learned to reach out. But uh, to get back to your original question, I think the thing that has kind of made me hang in there enough to pull out of it is knowing that I have children. Yeah, yeah, I would have said the same thing. 
because when you spoke earlier, and I was, I was, that's the reason why I asked that question, because I thought, yeah, it's got to be, because you spoke about the, your first child and your first child came and then that's kind of pulled you, pulled, and then just having, because you worked with children and you said the joy that you had from working in the classroom. So imagine that the joy you have from having your own children how that yeah. would have an impact on you not you know you, these children in this classroom can have an impact on you because yes you're teaching them or you know they're smiling or the, the, you you help them learn one and one or whatever it may be but they're not yours so then when, when you have a child that's yours it brings you it, it keeps you grounded and makes you feel you know what I could do anything if I if I need to get through this life for them and you, yeah. there's a word that I, 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 I'm going to keep repeating, I'm going to keep saying it on every single podcast I can, but there's an R word that I keep using, and, and not just me using it, but quite, a people have, quite a few people have used it, it's called resilience. Yeah. The resilience word, because we know, you know that from um, the, the marathon, it's about building resilience to, to keep going, like you said, and I, and I think your journey has been the fact that you've kept going, you, you've, when you've wanted to give up, you've something has come along and you've kept going. Um, whether it's your child or just you know, like the, the experience in um, um, to do with you know, the problem where you had with the with the with the teeth, you know, with your you say deputy and causing problems. You built up resilience, and I'll and I'll take it back as far as this. I mean, this is something that I'm just picking up from the what you said I'll take it as far back as you going through the rain do you know what I mean going through the rain London in London you you was able to you was able to take off from your home and go and land in a place where you've never been to before and then make your way through if you're saying London London was your first spot and then you ended up in Scotland so, yeah, yeah. Like, do you see what I mean? Through hitchhiking, through um, you know whatever may, whatever means necessarily, um, the the rain, and to the point where you said, you know what, I've, I've had enough. But you managed to get through that. Do you see what I mean? That's a long journey. And if you if you use that as a snapshot for the rest of for the life that you've been through, that's you've built up a lot of resist, resilience. And every and I would say to you that every step of the way. Every like you said, there's the next, there's this next part. All those things that you've been through before are going to help you now in this part of your journey. You know, your son with autism, and 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 you're already planning on thinking, you're already making plans. Whereas some people might not have been through that, and they don't know where to, they're not sure which way to turn. And but you're already starting to think, you know what? Maybe I need to do this. I need to do that. This will help him. That will help him. This will help us. So you've already built up those skills and those resilience through your through your work and your life experience. Yeah, I think I think for for people struggling, I have a a daughter of one of my old instructors back in Abu Dhabi, Emirati, uh, who she just she's studying her PhD in Saudi Arabia now. Yeah, I uh, just talked to her talked to her this morning. I talked to her most days a little bit. And she's really had a difficult time. You know, it's really been a struggle. But I, I've taught her to kind of reach out for help 
and and uh, I think once people learn that you can get help when you ask for help, yeah. Whether it's on a small scale or, or a non-serious matter or a, a serious matter, if you ask people for help, whether you're asking it online, saying, "Hey, does anybody know?" blah blah blah, yeah, yeah. or or something more serious, like I'm really struggling with life. Typically, you're going to get help. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of people that will help you in life, and and many people are unwilling to take that step of asking for help. Yeah. And it's like you, it's like you have to learn that you can't always do everything by yourself. No. It's okay. It's okay to say, "Hey, I need help. What do you recommend? Yeah. What can I do?" There's no there's no shame in needing help, whether it's looking for a job or or having mental issues or whatever, just uh, ask for help. And there's so many people that are willing to help. Yeah. And so for me, here my wife's very private. She she wouldn't ask for help for for anything. So I've had to go out of the community here, and, and I had to start talking about my son. And suddenly I've you know I the somebody I found the president of the foundation for autism here and her and I are like best friends now yeah, yeah. but if I but if I had never asked for help I would have been kind of alone in this journey and I, I think there's you just don't know what's out there unless you ask or, or, or open up to the possibility of help and yeah. there's a lot of good stuff out there if you ask but it is hard to ask when you're hurt yeah yeah definitely yeah it's, it's when you're down it's, sometimes people might say, oh, well, it's easy to do that, but it's easy for you to say that. But quite often they don't know what other people have been through until you tell the story. So your, you know, your, even your story here, people will hear this and they won't have to say to you, it's easy for you because you've already been through it. Um, and we all go through things. And what's important is what you said there is, is just reaching out for help. Um, so what, what, for you... You've you've been through all these things. What sort of things would you like to? You know, you 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 know you 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 said you want to go. You think about Seattle, and a wait for yourself as well. Would you see yourself writing a book, or you know, you said you've got a blog. Would you see yourself writing a book, or um, maybe even some children's book on? I don't know something to do with autism. I don't know. We don't know, do we? What's going to happen in our next chapter? What do you see? Yeah. Yeah, so so that's a great question. Um, you know, originally I had I had start, I had I had a few books that I wanted to write. I had a few things in mind um, when I came here. Um, you know, and I, I thought about you know doing something like selling real estate or something. I was asked to do that here, but everything kind of got sidelined with my son. You know, I, I feel like I just I didn't have the capacity to do more than that right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so all that's kind of become more of a back burner thing. I like writing and I do okay writing. My blog isn't isn't terrific writing. It was more of just getting something down on paper. Yeah. Um, but I, I there was some, you know, I, I had one book that I had thought about writing related to marathon running and my journey with that. I, I thought about. Uh, I actually was going to write one about men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been I've been wanting to do that for about thirty years, but I, I know I would be like nailed to the stake for for writing it. Right. <laughs> right. I, I think I think in the in the in the current 
claim it if you write anything about man you're a misogynist or something right uh and uh but i I wanted to kind of uh dissect all the statistics related to men where they are very good you know um you know if men have such a great life why are the statistics so bad um you know they're they're men or males are performing terribly academically they're you know they're like 90 some percent of the prison population uh, suicide rates you name it yeah. it's, it's not a pretty picture and i and i think if you were to reverse those statistics and say that 90 percent of the people in jail were women and that women were killing themselves at the rate of you know three and a half to four to one versus men and uh, that they were failing academically, I think the world would consider it a major crisis. Yeah. Um, but I kind of wanted to write a book about that, breaking it down. I had a whole bunch of chapters in mind, and some of it anecdotal, some of it factual. So I had that kind of book in mind. But right now, I feel like I need to... Uh, I don't know. I feel like I kind of need to take care of myself on a daily basis, you know, getting in enough exercise, yeah. um, working on my son's stuff, doing those things. And then maybe, you know, there will, I thought about actually just, you know, as recently as a month ago, I thought about getting like another master's degree related to autism Yeah, yeah. because I thought it might one it might really help me with my own kid yeah yeah. Uh, but I thought also it would be something that maybe I could help other people with at some point but I think it's going to be a little bit of a time period before I I need a little bit more stability I think before yeah. I can yeah yeah I think your experience I think your experiences really with your son is going to help um, definitely help you know, aside from the masters, your experiences with your child is what people are going to want to hear. If you see what I mean, yes, the masters yeah. are there to help. You know, to to gain um, something for you, but it's your experiences that people, because there's be a lot of there be a lot of people out there with um, children with autism that will that might be struggling themselves. Of what do I do? Where do I? You know, and what you're spoken about there is progress. A lot of the because you've made progress, you've progressed for your life. You know, every step we take is a progress. So you're making, you've made progress. You're saying that your son has made progress. So that would be something that people want to hear. Who may be thinking, oh, God, it's, you know, every day, what's happening? You know, they've gone backwards. Or, but by listening to you, they'll know that there's going to change going to come. There's going to be progress every day. Yeah, there's some tough stories i'm on some groups on facebook yep. and stuff and uh there's some pretty heartbreaking stories yeah just uh really severe situations and uh like the doctor here who's become my good friend the reason she got into it was her son uh is autistic but he's i think he's 18 or 19 now and there were there were no resources in the country at all at that time and yeah. so basically he's the lost child you know he, he received no therapy or anything like that so she's had to put him in sort of a home for autistic kids um, uh, and I'm just so impressed with her 
that she's dedicated herself to this for other people. Yeah, definitely. I was, I was going to say to you as well before we before we um, before we wrap this up. Um, do you? Because I mean, you just spoke then about men, and and I can see where you, where you, I can see where you go because I've got the same similar thoughts. Um, do you find? Do you feel that as a? Yeah, like I said, I mentioned earlier that we're living in the best times and all that sort of stuff, but yet we're still struggling with mental health. Do you see, do you feel that men are getting, we don't speak, we don't speak about it, and people keep saying, yes, we should, we should speak about our feelings and all that sort of stuff, but do you find that even with that, there's, there's a stigma attached to, to mental health? And also, do you feel that we're getting a raw deal? We're getting... The, we're getting what was the last? We're getting a raw deal as men. Well, I think... Yeah, I mean, it's complex. I think the... I don't think in... The, in you know, there's as big a stigma about mental health as there once was. I think yeah. it's not that big of a deal now. Um... I think men are probably less likely to, to talk about these things. But I also feel like in the West, um, particularly in the United States, uh, I don't think there's any venue for men to really express themselves about much of anything. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't really feel very safe speaking about much of anything in the states you know when i was in the uae i I was i felt like it was a pretty healthy environment you know with all the expats i could talk about a number of things and uh that i would never bring up in the united states um because the minute you start speaking in the states you're labeled as this or that or another thing you know there's all your 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 racist your sexist your misogynist it's like whatever comes out of your mouth is going to be going to be taken somewhere and I, I feel like it's uh it's a, a minefield that you you can't really go over but I do feel like so I was in the classroom you know from back in the 80s and it was really apparent to me by the 90s I mean if you were on watching tv back in the 80s the 90s there started to be all these talk shows with Phil Donahue and Maury Povich and all these guys that you may or may not know there were basically men bashing programs they got popular because they bashed men and if men would ever say anything everybody would throw things at them and and you know there started to be the t-shirts that said girls rule boys drool uh those are you know and 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 that kind of shirt would never be accepted in the reverse where it said you know boys rule girls drool you'd you'd be made to go home or something after school if you wore that um but there was kind of this anti-male thing and uh, I just don't feel like things are being presented very objectively um, and, and I mean if you look at the statistics in education women are dominating right now yeah. and they have been they have been for a while and I, I saw it back in the 90s starting to happen but every program was for females there were zero programs promoting males um, you know, there weren't advocates for males. If you tried to advocate for males, you would be shut down. Um, and 
I would like to think we would get to a place where we just advocate for people. Yeah. Where, where so every person can fulfill their potential. I don't care if they're male, female, whatever. Just, just try to try to advocate for everybody. But it seems like we're in this period where advocacy means squashing another group to raise another group. Yeah. And and it, and I have all the bad stuff. I'm white and a male. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I and I mean, obviously I have all sorts of privileges because of that. I get that. I, I've I've led a privileged life, but I but I also feel like right now in this time period, um, being a white male isn't great. Um, isn't a great thing, and I, I think being a male isn't a great thing either. Yeah, yeah. Um, regardless of your race, so I feel like it's a unique time period. But I, I think that. You know, when I look at my first marriage, you know, my wife didn't have to work for a number of years because I was working really hard. Yeah. We were supposed to do kind of more of a sharing thing is what we had talked about, but it ended up that it didn't make sense that I needed to work a lot to support the family. And so I've lost out a lot. Yeah. I mean, I would I would have liked to spend that time with my kids, but that really was not an option for a man. And so in those kind of things, I don't feel like we're very fair to men. We want them to be, you know, a man and go go earn money, but we want them to come home and do the dishes and do the clothes and do everything else as well at the same time and never, never complain about that. It's all, you know, women have it so bad. Yeah. It's all we ever hear is how bad women have it. So I, I think, you know, there's some, balance there but i think we should just look at people people are people you know it's like male female whatever try to treat everybody well but there's a lot of i think there's a lot of disingenuous discussion so like when you talk about um you know in the states it's all this equal pay equal pay for men and women that sort of thing and that if you do any sort of research on that it's being misrepresented terribly it's, it's so, if you took a female and a male with the same education, the same time on the job, all of that stuff, you'd be very hard pressed to find much discrepancy in salary. In fact, right now, when females leave universities, their salaries are a little higher. But what happens is there's choices that are made and females choose to have children and her families choose to have children and so the women are out of the workforce for a while. They try to re-enter. Their, their career choices are different. And so like, for instance, my two children who are both brilliant, my older children, my, my daughter was the top student in her high school and she went through university in three years. I mean, she's brilliant and, and she was brilliant in calculus. She was brilliant in every field, but she chose, she chose to do so, something with a, a degree in psychology Whereas my son, who's also brilliant, chose to go into aerospace engineering. Right. He's going to get paid more ultimately. Yeah. In the end, but that's what they're comparing. Yeah. They're saying men men are paid more than women, but it was a choice. She was actually better at calculus than him, but she chose to go into psychology. And she would never say that she was discriminated against. She she gets it. Um. 
And so I feel like there's a real disingenuous discussion in our, our but it's popular to, to trot that out. And it's, it's, it's kind of disingenuous um, because anywhere I've worked, females in the same position as me were paid the same. Yeah. And so those kind of things, I feel like people need to kind of get real about it and, and be honest instead of using it for political political purposes. You know, it seems like it's used to, to, to bash people. Yeah. I don't know. Kind of off track, off track there, but no, you know. no, it wasn't off the track because it was, you know, this is this is the thing. These are sort of things that have, uh, you know, I've come across that's affecting mental health and mental, both both in men and women in, with men, because then we end up disconnecting and fighting against each other, and we don't need that. It needs to be there needs to be a unison in the world and people coming together for the greater of the, you know, sound cliche, but for the greater of the good. Um, for, before you before you go, what? What would you? I mean, you've kind of said some things there, but what, if you were to give one line to people who may be struggling, who struggling with the mental health, who may be struggling at the moment, what would you say to them? Uh, good question. I think. Well, I guess I'd say a couple things. Yeah. A few things. Yeah. One. Uh, one. Exercise. Yeah. Make sure you exercise every day. Uh, be really kind to yourself. Um, ask for help, and, and realize that it's it will get better. Yeah. If you if you persist long enough, if you keep at it, you're going to get to a point where you look back and say, "I can't believe I felt like that before." Yeah. It will it will get better, um, and uh, and. Uh, sometimes it helps to have a little perspective like if you think about it you know don't don't take life too seriously Um, if you think about if you think about it in one generation from now you know after I die very few people will remember me after two generations almost nobody will after three it's gone (laughs) you know you know you know so life isn't you know, lighten up a little bit. It's not that big of a deal. It's all going to pass. Yeah. And it's going to be okay. That's a little bit fatalistic, but it, it kind of helps me sometimes to realize it's it's going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. And I'd say, where can you be found? I mean, if anybody wants to contact you, you talk about your blog, you know, where, where can you be found? Well, I have a, my LinkedIn, you know, if you, you know, anybody's welcome to contact me there. I could, uh, I could send you my blog yeah. contact, which might be kind of fun for people, especially people that like travel. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, my email. You have my email. Yeah. I, I gave you my email, but I would welcome anybody who wants to email me. And if, if it somehow helps somebody, I'd be more than happy to talk to them. Yeah. You know, um, through any of those venues, you know. Yeah. I say, and I could say do that. Change. Thank you for coming on and, and talking. I mean, we could talk for, I mean, is again, I always say this to people because we always talk about their lives, but during those things, there's always snapshots. So there's parts of their lives we could talk about. So, you know, I'd like to have you back on again to talk about certain aspects. Um, sure. You just, you know, that we've just gone through. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a long, 
you know, it doesn't have to be your story. It could just be a snapshot of what was your time like of living in the UAE? You know what I mean? To, to yeah. people, what was your time like living in the, in the middle, middle East, as they call it? Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't believe in calling it that. Um, <laughs> and that, that's my deep thoughts and political thoughts anyway. But yeah, so I'd like to have you back on again and thank you for coming on and, you know, you know, whatever decision you make, I'm sure it'll be the best one for you and your family and everything like that. But definitely have you back on again. Well, thanks. Great to get to know you a bit. And uh, hey, you're welcome here. You ever want the, the, yeah, that'd the be beaches fun. and the palm trees? We have a big house. That'd be fantastic. Big house, so that'd, we have... that'd be fantastic. And no, really, you're welcome. You're yeah, welcome no, to come. That'd be fantastic. You know, take me up on it. Yeah. It's a genuine, genuine offer. That was Men Are Nuts. Speak to you soon. <laughs>